0: I don't think I have to tell you that these are awesome days, aren't they? Uh let me do something I've done everywhere I've when I have the opportunity to to put together a conference. I remind those who are there that uh we primarily came to meet the Lord. You cannot determine when he's going to encounter you. But when he does If it's right in the middle of my speaking, do not tell the Lord. When Henry's finished speaking, I'll talk to you. You understand what I'm saying? If right in the middle of the sharing, God encounters you, there's an altar or there's a prayer room, you need to go immediately and deal with God. And sometimes I think God deliberately meets us in the middle of someone else's speaking to see what we do next. Because what we do next indicates what we believe about him, regardless of what we say. And so if at any time, during these moments, somehow, in the wisdom and the mercy and the grace of God, he spoke to you, and he pinpointed something in your life or ministry, and in effect he is saying, you better deal with this or your ministry is over. Do not hesitate. Run. Run. And meet him. And let him deal with you until he's through with you. Uh, It's his invitation to make the changes. Uh, You may be standing on the edge of a spiritual cliff and don't know. You're unaware of it, but God is aware of it. And you're about to lose it all. And there are times when you lose it all and absolutely cannot recover it. And things are never the same again. All the way through the Bible, that is true. When Moses sinned against God, by telling God that he knows better than God, and by the way, that moment when he struck the rock is an interesting one for us as pastors God never or rarely ever does the same thing twice there was only one burning bush was there not but if that had happened in our day we would have had somebody write a book on how to identify burning bushes and been going all over the place and uh, that's an instructive one. What did God say to Moses to do the first time he brought water, water? Strike it. Did he not? But the second time, God said, speak to it. And he struck it. And what did it cost him? He could not enter the promised land. And Moses pled with God several times, and suddenly God says, Moses, don't ever bring that subject up again. You are not going into the promised land in discussion. But folks, we have a tendency to believe that we can treat God any way we want, and we can sin. Any way we want. And as long as we, quote, repent and God forgives, he can restore us to the original ministry. I'm just one that says that's not at all possible. And uh, I was talking with a wonderful guy up in Wisconsin. Tall fellow. He was was Lutheran. And then uh, God directed his life. And he was now co-pastor. But he said... Uh, he said, I'm greatly disturbed in my spirit. For he said, I, I was divorced. But the church where I'm now in feels obviously I have the call of God. And I'm serving. Then he said, with tears, he said, I want you to be absolutely honest with me. I want you to share with me exactly how you feel about that. Don't spare me at all. I said, that's the way I would have answered anyway. (laughs) But I said, there's a little word in both of the qualifications for a pastor, both in Timothy and Titus, that eliminates you from being an active pastor. And that's the word blameless. I said, that word is not saying sinless, it says blameless. And you don't qualify. And his new wife was sitting with him. And they both wept. And when we talked further, we must have talked for an hour. He said, Could you just could you tell me about that? And I said, I can. And I can tell you why that's there. And I can tell you why what you do in that area of your life can be fatal to your ministry. And of course, someone always says, well, God used David. And I said, David was not a priest. He was a king. But a priest, very strict guidelines for the priest. But anyway... I think it's critically important that when God speaks to us we go alone with God and let him finish what he began because you cannot determine what God is trying to say to you and there may be you may be right on the edge of a precipice for your ministry and God says one more step and you've lost it all. But the mindset of our generation does not believe that and we use human reasoning To describe a God who is not the God revealed in the Bible at all, but the God that we have made and that we want, but not the God who revealed himself to us. So we're going to, so if at any time there comes a moment where you sense clearly that God is speaking to you, you'll not disturb me or anybody else if you either go out to a separate room or just come and kneel and pray and let the Lord deal with you, and if he overwhelms you, just let it, let him do it, because did we not come to meet the Lord? And I don't know about you, but I anticipated that I would meet the Lord in fresh and new ways that I had not seen before. Brother Mark, uh, and I, I have to jump off on this one a bit, this is a very informal time, by the way, and. If there's a pattern, I'm going to do some sharing. Uh, We will have a break partway through, halfway through. And there will be a time for questions and answers. And there will be a time for prayer, where you can do whatever you like. Pray with someone. Pray in small groups. Get on your knees where you are. But I think it is an affront to a holy God to ever plan to meet him and then not have the opportunity to respond to him. And I believe when the God of the universe speaks, that's the time we need to uh, respond. So uh, we'll do that. But Brother Mark mentioned that a lady came to him and said there's a there's a passage of scripture that I think she said uh, is for all of us here. And uh, she turned him to Jeremiah 23 and the first three verses. I'm very familiar with Jeremiah and very familiar with Jeremiah 23. And one of the basic reasons is how we have unfaithfully handled the word of God. Um, And one of them is how we have understood what Jesus said when he said in the middle of his ministry, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. And we immediately use that as the basis for evangelism with the unbeliever. It's not what it means at all. When the Lord Jesus makes a statement as significant as that one, he took it from from Jeremiah 23 where he said, God says to Jeremiah, my shepherds have abandoned my people. They have let them go out onto the mountains. They have not pursued them. They have not healed them. They have not fed them. They have not gone to seek and to save that which is lost, but I'm going to raise up a shepherd after my own heart, and he will seek out and save that which is lost. says it about three times. He was not talking about the unbeliever. He was talking about the people of God. And God was trying to say the deepest heart cry of God is for his people because as goes the people of God, so goes the rest of the world. And if you do not pay attention to the people of God, evangelism comes to a screeching halt. Evangelism is a byproduct of the quality of, of the people of God that he has entrusted to you. The degree to which they walk with him is the degree to which they have an incredible witness that they cannot keep quiet about. And you'll find that the closer the people of God come to a relationship to God, the more profound is their witness. And that's why revival always precedes spiritual awakening. Because uh, revival is something that can only happen to the people of God. The lost person has never been revived, so they can't be revived. And so the only ones who can be revived are those who once knew him. So God's first order is to deal with his own. Because as goes his own, so goes all his purpose to work through his own to touch a lost world. And I have found that the more I spend, more time I spend helping God's people to come toward Christ's likeness, Uh, the more there was an immediate, spontaneous witness. I remember talking to some deacons, and they said, Pastor, if you just, this was in the second church I pastored in Los Angeles. And they said, Pastor, if you just uh, give us some assignments. And I said, I won't do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, if I have to come to the place where I assign you to love someone, you're in trouble. But pastor, couldn't you, these visitors and people, couldn't you just assign some to us? And I said, no, I won't do that. I'd be hurting you as your pastor. My desire is to lead you into a relationship to Christ in such a way that you are begging. You are going to the place where the the prospects are found, where you just go and you you let the Lord guide you and you go to the members of the church and goes under your watch care And I said, I'll never have to assign you if you have a love relationship to the Lord. But I can do you great harm by assigning you someone to love. They caught it. And they let me lead them into a growing love relationship to the Lord. I never had to assign one deacon to go out and love a lost person or to go out and love a believer. They did it spontaneously. I've always said, what you do spontaneously is the best indicator of the condition of your heart. If you have to think about it, your heart has shifted. And what you do when you face people, what you do spontaneously without thinking, is where your heart is. And uh, I, when I'm, I've, you know, I pastored more than 30 years, and so I, I have a, a great heart cry. Uh, for pastors. And I've written a number of things which uh, all deal with the pastor and and of course the Spiritual Leadership book has a whole chapter on pitfalls of the spiritual leader. But uh, the book we, we wrote on Fresh Encounter has a whole section just on spiritual leadership. As a matter of fact, that section is spiritual leadership in times of revival and awakening. Let me read you a couple of the chapter titles. The Role of the Spiritual Leader. The Qualities of a Spiritual Leader. Personal revival for spiritual leaders. Preparing the Way of the Lord. That's what you do. You don't prepare the way for the Lord, you prepare the way of the Lord. He's already got a way and you're supposed to lead them in the way of the Lord. Chapter 17, guiding God's people to return to him. Now, if you at any length of time, that one's going to be a toughie for you. How do I guide the people from where they are to where they ought to be? How do I lead them into corporate repentance? How do I guide the people of God to return to God? Chapter 18, when revival comes, the spiritual leader should never be caught off guard. That long before God brings a mighty movement of his spirit, you are fully prepared. You know exactly what to do. You know what God is going to do. And you have already prepared your heart. And you've prepared your church for an encounter with God. And we we deal with that in a whole chapter. And then the last two are times for continuing revival, and uh, praying for revival in the land. There's a bit of a difference between praying for revival in the land and praying for revival in your church or your community. So we have tried to, uh, to help pastors, and this comes out of the crucible of my own personal walk with the Lord, and deeply desiring to be the kind of shepherd and servant that God is looking for. Well, I, I want to, uh, I, I had a, a moment with the Lord as I walked here uh, a bit ago, and it goes something like this. I was looking at the flowers. I mean, is an is a artificial flower the same as the one God creates? Is there any substitute for the real thing? No matter how you make it look like it, there's no life in it. And then I looked at the rest of the nature, and then I thought about not only the flowers, I thought about every other part of his creation. And does not the Bible say the heavens declare the glory of God? Firmament speaks. And every part of his creation is speaking to us, is it not? And it is is not The creator greater than the things he creates. And so you can wonder at the flowers but is there any beauty that equals the one who created them? But we can wonder at the creation and never move toward the beauty of the creator. And uh, I began to think of the uniqueness of his creation and how the flowers are different, and how everything about his creation is unique and very special. But I found everything in my being saying I I must go beyond his handiwork to the one who created it. And you could put everything that God created and stand in utter wonder, and it won't even come close to the wonder of the person himself. And I believe that God created all of this as a constant reminder to draw us to himself. And of all the people who ought to stand in awe and wonder, it is the pastor, the one called of God. Because when God calls you, he also equips you So there's some things God does in you that he does not do in the ordinary person. And I hope to God that you do not lose the wonder of the call to ministry and make it just the let's ordain the janitor because he's called. Don't you let anybody do that. The call to be a shepherd of the people of God is unique. And God gives you the equipping to function thoroughly in that role. There are some things God brings to your life when he calls you that he does not bring to anybody else. And the assignment he's given you, he matches the equipping. I've always said the gifting of God always follows the assignment, never precedes it. And all through the Old Testament when God gave an assignment, then the Spirit came upon them to equip them to do it. And when God withdrew the assignment from Saul, he also withdrew the equipping. He no longer needed it because he did not have the assignment. And in the New Testament, that is exactly the same. Where God puts you in the body, not the universal body, the local body, then the Spirit of God equips you to function in the body where he puts you. If God makes you an eye, what does he need to equip you to do? See But according to 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the gift is the Spirit himself, and he manifests himself to every member for the common good. Not for you. The gift of seeing is not primarily for you. It's so the hand knows where to reach and the foot knows where to walk, so the body can function. And so, where He puts you in the body is how He's going to equip you. And I keep saying to pastors, you need to find out very, very carefully where God put you in the body. I can tell you where He didn't put you. You're not the head, that position's already occupied. I'm serious because too many pastors are functioning as though they're the head and the whole body has to respond to them. Foolishness. The head is Christ. And when I understood that, I let God put me in the body where he wanted to. And then I watched how he equipped me to function in the body, but that was not for me. It was so that every part of the body could come to Christ likeness so that Christ had a mature body, so that we all grew up into the head, and we were all made to come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And when the body is connected to the head and healthy and mature, then Christ has, an, has a vehicle through which he can work to do the Father's will. It is still true that the Father Assigns to his son in a new body. Now, let me ask you about your church. Did Christ ever misunderstand the will of the Father? Did he ever fail to do the will of the Father? As head of your congregation, will the living Christ ever fail to understand what the Father wants to do with that body? Will he ever fail? to seek to marshal the entire body to do the will of God. I mean, you got it made if you just understand how to relate to the head. And when God gives an assignment, he, in the giving of the assignment, he guarantees the completion of it. And what an excitement that one is. Well, we want to, we want to talk in a couple of directions with you um, and, uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to confront us together with some very, very important scriptures. Well, first of all, I want to ask you this question is what I'm going to do in talking about the pitfalls to leadership or spiritual leadership. You need to have at least a little bit of an understanding of what spiritual leadership is and why and how it comes about. And then there's a root cause, Dr. Roberts, he's not a doctor and he gives me a bad time every time I call him that, but I, I've been around him enough to know I hereby anoint him as doctor. <laughs> Doesn't mean a thing, Brother Roberts, but uh, I treat you with great, great honor. And it won't be from men. It will be from God. Well, that anointing is already on him. So we can't add anything by anything we do. But um, I, want to, I, want to, uh, I want to ask you a couple of questions. The things I'm going to ask you and then talk about the the consequences of this. Brother Roberts has said, and has deeply affected me more than he knows. He has said there's there's some root systems from which everything else comes. Now, when I go to my doctor, and he sees the symptoms, he doesn't treat the symptoms. He takes the symptoms to try and identify the root cause for those symptoms. So when the root cause is dealt with, all the symptoms disappear. Is that not true? Now as a pastor, for heaven's sakes, don't keep treating the symptoms. You can wear yourself out doing that. You need to treat the root cause when you deal with that one all the symptoms disappear. Now I want to go back to a basic. I do this for my own life and I do it regularly. When God made a statement, let me tell you, he said, what I really want. What is the basic fundamental desire of the heart of God from you? What's, What's basic? From which everything else comes. He said, I want you to love the Lord your God. How much? With all of your heart. We'll talk about that in a moment. Because I can tell you, when your heart shifts, everything else shifts. But you don't deal with the symptom, you deal with the root cause. And the greatest single pitfall to a pastor is the loss or the turning aside from the love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the heart of it. For instance, if you are in that intimate personal relationship with Christ, there's no possibility that you can commit adultery. You know why? It would be so abhorrent to you you, you could not do that to, to your Lord. You could not do that to his name. You couldn't possibly do that. I couldn't do it just because of the relationship with my wife. Or the incredible hurt it would cause to my five children if I did that. But folks, you can put all that together. And my love relationship with the Lord Jesus goes all over that one. I can't do it. I can't do it. And he said, you're to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. The number one pitfall of pastors and missionaries and spiritual leaders is pornography. Number one. Let me tell you the deterrent to that. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. You better guard your mind. But how do you do it? You bring it and make it subject to Christ. Is that not what Paul said? When he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God, then he says you take every thought... And bring it into captivity to Christ. Now, if you do not guard your mind, you're in a spiritual uh, minefield that can destroy you in one shot. Uh, Someone was talking to me about my quiet time with the Lord, and and I said, "Well, my quiet time with the Lord." I don't call it that, but my time before the Lord begins the night before. I've determined, Brother Roberts, you're in the front row. You don't mind me using you from time to time. I determined I would not watch CNN news as the last thing that I had in my mind before I went to sleep. What you go to sleep with is going to take you all the way through the night, and you'll still be thinking about it in the morning. The mayhem that sin is causing in our world can cause you sleepless nights. Well, why in the world do you let that be the last thing that you watch before you go to bed? My time alone with God in the morning begins the night before. And I'm exceedingly careful that I love the Lord my God with all my mind. And I guard my mind come through my mind. And I go. And every time you start to think about the scriptures, they all come rushing at you. And he says, why don't you just set your mind on the things above, where you and Christ are seated together with the Father. Why don't you let your mind be there? Or Psalm 1. Let me tell you the one, could I make it personal and say, and this is what I have done in my own ministry. He said, let me tell you the one the pastor anywhere under any condition do you know how you can be a pastor anywhere and be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bring forth your fruit in its season your leaf never withers and whatever you do prosper you know how to do that someone this one meditates on the law, day and night. But many of us want to meditate on everything else, all of our activities, all of our programs, all of our goals, all the things that we want to do for God. And he said, none of that will ever make you productive. You're going to have to meditate on the law. You're going to have to meditate on his word day and night. Without exception, whatever you do will prosper. Now, how would you know if you were not doing it? You're not prospering. God would have to cease to be God, not to do what he said. But you know what we do? That pitfall is very real. But we make every excuse under the sun why we can't do that day and night. Let me ask you another question. Does Christ dwell within you? Does he dwell within you only during your quiet time? How much of the day is the living Lord of the universe resident in your life? 24 hours a day. Then how much of that day can he speak to you? Well, whenever you let him. No, sir, he can speak to you anytime he wants. Our problem is we don't expect him to speak to us. And a tremendous pitfall in a pastor's life is not to live out that 24-hour-a-day relationship with the living Lord. And when I go to those passages like Isaiah 65 and 6 and and into Jeremiah 7, I think it is, And God says something like this. I called unto you again and again, but there was no reply. I spoke to you again and again. There was no response. I rose up early speaking to you, but there was no response. Pastor? Do you not then come trembling before a holy God and say, last week, how many times did you try to speak to me? but you never could get an answer from me. You never expected me to speak to you in that phone call you got. And when you did get a phone call, you never meditated on that. You never asked me what in the world this means. I go back to something I may have shared earlier. To give you an idea, just a couple of days ago, I had to practice what I'm telling you. Right in the middle of the day, got a phone call from the office of chief of army chaplains. And Larry said, Henry, I read uh, the the spiritual leadership book and I've taken the initiative to establish a whole pattern for developing and training the military, the, the army chaplains to become spiritual leaders that are very healthy in their walk with God. And when I read your book, I said, uh, I wonder if he would be willing to help me design that. Now, how would you handle that? As a message from Washington or from heaven? Folks, I want you to know everything within me said, Father, who is sufficient for such a thing as this? Then I began to meditate. What do you do when God speaks to you? Do you meditate and say, Father, you just introduced me to something. What do you have in mind? And the longer I meditated on that, on that particular day, you know what came to mind? And the Holy Spirit's the only one who can do it. You cannot do it by human reasoning. Now, I'm a very ordinary person. Any of you know where Williams Lake, British Columbia is? Oh, there's a couple. Well, can anything good come out of Williams Lake, British Columbia? And I see myself as so very, very ordinary. And then when that came, I then closed down everything. I mean, when the God of the universe does something, do you shut down everything? Or do you continue with your agenda? God deliver us from that. That's one of the great pitfalls of the ministry. We don't know how to relate to the one who told us to love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength. When I meditated on it, I was, I was trembling when I finished. Because whenever there's something about to take place here, God starts way back here. And my, my response was, is America going to face something in the near future that's going to require the military chaplains, to be on a level of spiritual leadership they've never had to be before. God doesn't play games. When God initiates something, it is God-sized and has eternal consequences to it. In my mind, I just trembled and I cried. I said, Lord, what are you trying to say? And are you wanting me to be a partner to shape the direction of the spiritual intensity of the army chaplains which could in turn touch all the other branches of the military and knowing very well that our chaplains on the national level interrelate with Canada's chaplains and others around the world? My mind just blew. I said, what did you just say to me? But can you imagine God when I stand before him saying, Henry, let me tell you what could have been when you got that phone call. Let me tell you what could have been if you'd only listened. And if you'd only asked me why. What did God say to you last week? You didn't even know it was God. But it was. And in this matter of spiritual awakening, I have had something that's really disturbed me a bit, because in many ways, what we're doing is saying, oh, Lord, would you come in a great earthquake, spiritual earthquake? He said, I don't come in the earthquake. Well, at least could you bring a great sweeping fire? And he said, I don't come in the fire. Well, could you bring a great wind of the spirit? He said, I don't come in that. Well, Lord, how in the world do you come? He said, I come in a still small voice. But you don't think that's revival. When I speak with a still small voice, all there is of me is speaking. And all there is of me is present. Have you been crying out to God for a great earthquake? Spiritually, a great fire, a wind? And God said, you really don't think I'm present, do you? When all you get is a still small voice. And you know what God was about to do in that still small voice? He was about to assign Elijah to go and anoint two kings and to anoint Elisha to take his place. Do You know that all of eternity hung in the balance in a still small voice. When was the last time you expected God to come in a still small voice? Or are you still in revival praying for the great cataclysmic moment When God said, you know, there was a sinner woman, she was a prostitute, and I brought her to your office and you turned it over to someone else. But little did you realize, when that woman came to know the Lord, all of Sychar would come to know the Lord. And it would be so profound that the city right next to it called Samaria would come to know the Lord. And the Spirit would send Philip down to find out what in the world God was up to. And revival came across the whole of Samaria and it started at a well with a woman of the street. Now did Jesus know when the Father was speaking to him? And did he know the profound implications of God bringing one woman into a relationship with himself did he know that all of samaria would hear the gospel as a result so as a pastor i would say father don't only let me know what i missed but i believe one day you're going to say henry all the accumulated possibilities of what you missed are also laid against your account not just what you missed but what all i intended to do if you'd only listened. And one of the best pictures I know is that one woman and the rest of the apostles were saying you're wasting your time. One of the great pitfalls in the ministry is you don't recognize the still small voice of God. You're going to have to cultivate a listening ear to God. Now I want to give you one other and then I'm going to do a little more specifics in the in the pitfalls. I want you to feel the implication of this because I had to do it as a pastor and it made a radical difference in everything I did. And to this day it does. I mean, every day I'm facing this one. And uh, many of you are very much aware of John 13. Is that not the great servant picture? And those of you who know Max Greiner, who does statues of Jesus washing Peter's feet. Max and I are good friends. He's a mess, but he's a great artist. But you know, one of the most significant parts to that is that everything that follows in that 13th chapter is based on what he did when he served. And let me give you a verse that you've heard me talk on many times, but I want to bring it back to you because it's one of the great pitfalls of ministry when we lose the relationship with the living Lord. See, when your greatest root problem is the relationship of love to Him, but all the rest of the Bible tells you what that means. So in the 20th verse, he makes this statement. How you receive the one I send you, you receive me. And how you receive me, you have received my Father who sent me. Now again, Brother Roberts, I can ask forgiveness rather than permission. He will never know. You'll never know how much of Christ I came to know because God sent him to my life. I don't know if you've got to know this, dear brother, but I can tell you one thing. He has come to know Christ in a way that none of us have. God doesn't duplicate anything. When God comes to an individual, it is a unique. All of our background, all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our sensitivities, we come to know Christ uniquely. Unlike anyone else on the face of the earth, we have come to know our Lord. And there's going to be a whole dimension of the person of Jesus Christ that I will never know if I don't know it through my brother. I can't know it the way they have. And they look at it, it's like a diamond. You can look at it from a thousand angles and you'll see something more beautiful. And I can tell you, the person of our Lord has so much about him that it takes all of us experiencing him and then bringing our life alongside of our brothers and simply sharing that. And you come to know something about him you never could have known if you had not heard that from them. And so Jesus says, how you receive the one I send you, you've received me. And how you receive me, you've received the one who sent me. So, Brother Mark, there's no question in my mind, you're unique. Not because of you, but because of the Christ who chose to let you know some things about him. He didn't let me know that. But I will never know him that way unless I know him through you. And not only do you need to share out of the uniqueness of your perception and experience with the Lord, but you need to share it in a way that I can understand it. And I want you to know, I'll know more about Jesus after I've talked to you than I could have possibly known without you. But he then makes that a unique statement to say in how you receive me you've come face to face with my father. How then should I treat you? Very carefully. As a sacred trust from God. Let me ask you how are you receiving those God sends to you. It was just a 16-year-old boy. No, it wasn't. It was the living Lord who came face to face with you. He happened to have a 16-year-old body. But if you had taken time to try and disciple him, you'd have come to know something about the Lord you have never known before. You'd have had a tenderness and a gentleness. I met a 16-year-old here and uh, Dave where are you where is Dave yeah your son what's his first name David you need to know David when I had just a few minutes with you I had an experience with the Lord That was very, very special to me. You didn't know anything about that, did you? But John thirteen twenty was happening through you. In just how long does it take Christ to make himself known? One sentence. And, you know, just to know that you're standing on the edge of your life saying, Lord, what would you have me? to be it was so refreshing to me personally because I'm getting along. Not as far as some others but <laughs> you have no idea what it does to me to know that my Lord is still in the business of calling teenagers. He did something inside me. Can you learn something about the Lord and the Father? How are you receiving the ones he sent you? It may be a fellow pastor. What is he trying to tell you about himself? Now, are we not in grave danger? Is that not one of the great pitfalls of the ministry? When we cry out for the Lord to make himself real, and he said, you don't understand the way in which I chose to do it. I sent four people to you last week, and you didn't receive any of them as you would receive me. Now, I don't make you an independent communicator with me. I have made you interdependent by creation. You see, sin creates independence, and redemption creates interdependence. We need each other, and God created us so that you can never know more of him unless you receive it from your brother or your sister. That's why when I was thinking of marrying Marilyn 42 years ago, I said, uh, Marilyn, you need to tell me every vow you've ever made to God. Because God takes vows very seriously. And God caused you to want to make some vows to him. And the vows you made to him was his way of preparing you for our marriage. And I need to know every vow you've ever made to God. Because I know the heart of God on that. And I will spend the rest of my life helping you fulfill every vow you've ever made to God. Our marriage and our home rests on it. Now what did I do? I was very careful how I received the one the Father sent. me. You know that for 21 years, God had been working on my wife. And preparing her, would it not have been a tragedy if for 21 years God prepared her to be my wife? And I did not understand that it was Him that I received when I received my wife. So I treat her very, very carefully. And one of the, now, can you think for a moment? You're looking at the root, you're looking at the root of your life. It is a love relationship to God, but it, it brings itself out in scriptures like this. But can you think that if I simply loved my Lord with all of my heart and all the ways in which he has chosen to express himself to me, that that would secure my marriage? Would that not create one of the greatest deterrents to the pitfall of a broken marriage? It would. You see, you look at the symptom and say, well, my wife's my problem or my husband. No, 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 no. Your love relationship to Jesus is the problem. You forgot that he gave her to you and he prepared her and you have neglected your relationship to him by neglecting your relationship to, the, to your wife. Did God not give you your children? How did you receive them? Did you hold that little one as a sacred trust and say, how I received this boy, I received my Lord. (laughs) And how I received my Lord, I've received my heavenly father. How then would I treat my children? How much time would I give them? What would I watch to see God doing in their life? You see, family problems are the product of choices we've made with God. Has nothing to do with environment. Has nothing to do with the world in which we live or TV. You can blame everything and anything you want, and God will simply say, "You didn't understand, did you?" I told you to love those I gave you, as you would be loving me and my Father, but you never did. And now, did I not tell you, whatever you sow, you reap? And the root produces the fruit. And you can't have all of this rotten fruit if you had a good root system. You just need to accept it and ask me to change the root system. You're going to have to ask me to bring you to the deepest personal relationship that's possible with me, and you'll watch the fruit be the product of that. Now, is that not what Jesus said in John 15? Is he not the vine and you're the branch? If you abide in him and his words abide in you, you will bring forth fruit. Now, let me tell you what so often people do. They look and see no fruit in their life or their ministry. And then they try to blame it on everybody else. And Jesus said, why don't you just go back to the simplicity of what I said? If your relationship is right with me, you will bear fruit. Now, why don't you just deal with that one? Well, Lord, you don't understand. He said, I don't understand. It's you who don't understand. There was a pitfall in your ministry. You forgot the relationship with me. And you tried to have substitutes. For instance, does God want your heart or does he want your gifts? He wants your heart. And how would you know and how would he know if he had your heart? How would God know if he had your heart? And how would you know that you love him? Well, what happens next? How much time do you spend with him? How do you? And if you love God with all of your heart, you'll love your children the same way. Because you will receive them as you would him. And you'd spend time with them. And you'd talk with them. And you'd find out what the father is doing in their mind and in their heart. And you'd say, Father, if, if how I treat my son, and I, I not only have four sons and a daughter and then 13 grandchildren, but uh, i got a whole lot of the Lord that I'm learning <laughs> from each of them. But I can tell you, my concern is that I treat them as one that he has sent me. And I treat them as I would treat my Lord and treat the Father. Now, have they responded? They have. And they've responded to him. The way I have treated my Lord and by the way, this matter of time, right now I'm having the privilege of uh, being a keynote speaker where one of my sons is also a keynote speaker. So we speak together. Now, one of my sons, facetious, well, they all joined in, in in a quartet. But they said, Dad, you know why we really entered the ministry? You used the four of us as an illustration so long we felt turnabout was, well, was fair practice. So we want to use you as an illustration. I just held my breath, and every time I'm with them, and by the way, you can pray for us because a whole state convention, those of you who are Southern Baptists, uh, from Kansas, Nebraska, the whole state convention has an annual state evangelism conference. They've asked my wife and I and my four sons to be the keynote speakers. That's going to be an awesome moment. And you need to pray for me because I just know they're going to use me as an illustration. (laughs) But my oldest son did, and this is what he said. And I just bowed my head and wept. He said, you know, when he was in college, he got up one day about, well, about 6.30. He said, I went out uh, quietly out into the kitchen, and there's my dad. He was at the kitchen table with his head bowed in an open Bible and notes he'd been taking from his time with the Lord. I tiptoed out and said, I'm going to get up before my dad tomorrow. He said, I went out at 5.30. There was my dad with his head in the Bible and pages of notes. I know he must have gotten up a long while before I did. And then he said, I never forgot it. And my son gets up early every day to meet the Lord. I didn't know that he was even, I didn't know until he shared that that's what he had done. But now how I live my life can be one of the greatest deterrents to the pitfalls of family disaster. You can live in such a way that you are creating great, prevention uh, in your children going away from the Lord. Now, there's another whole side to that, and that is if they have parted, departed from the Lord, how in the world do you get them back? And I had one of my sons who flunked the 10th grade, got in with the wrong crowd, said, Dad, I'm not going to go to college. Don't talk to me about it. I didn't know, but the Bible didn't say, Parents, obey your children. So I kept on telling him about going to college. (laughs) But I can remember falling on my face in the middle of the night in the living room and crying out, Oh God, would you do something to bring my son back? And God said, I'm not here to change your son. I'm here to change his father. And God did a number on this dad. He worked me over. And I can still remember the time when that son, who wasn't going to college, by the way, he's now finishing his Ph.D. from Southwestern Seminary, has been called a pastor and loves the Lord with all of his heart. But I can remember the day he met me, if you've ever been in Fort Worth area, I-35 West in Seminary Drive, Danny's Restaurant. I sat there. In a crowded restaurant and he looked across and said, Dad, I'm so sorry for all the pain I caused you and Mom, and I want you to know I feel called into the ministry. And uh, then he added, I don't think I will be like my brothers without thinking. You know, sometimes you wish you could bring words back without thinking. I said, Son, nothing you've ever done has been like your brothers. (laughs) But I'm walking with him. But I want you to know one thing. The Lord brought me back to say how you receive your wayward son. You receive me.